This weekend, we're joining believers all around the globe in remembering Jesus' death and celebrating Jesus' resurrection. It's all focused on Jesus. So who is Jesus? Let me remind you. Jesus is the Son of God. God in the flesh. And Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago so that in him, God in the flesh, in Jesus, we would see with our own eyes, be able to read historical document like John's gospel about God's love displayed in Jesus, about God's wrath displayed in Jesus. Remember him casting out the money changes from the temple, about God's mercy in Jesus, about God's reality in Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross, paying for the sins, being punished for the sins of all who will put their trust in him. And he rose from the dead, showing that his death had completely paid for all of our sins. So everything in Christianity rests upon the resurrection, which confirms who Jesus is and confirms what he did on the cross. It all rests on the resurrection. If the resurrection isn't true, then Christianity is not true. And if the resurrection is true, then that changes everything. So, did the resurrection happen? Is it true? Many of you I know would answer yes. And you're right. It did happen. But here's what I want you to think about this afternoon. What are your reasons for believing that the resurrection happened? What are your, what's your basis for believing that? God doesn't want us to be believing in the resurrection just because, well, that's what Christians do, and I'm a Christian. That's not a very strong reason. Or because some pastor told me that it happened, that's not very strong either. What we're going to see this afternoon is that God has given us reasons, evidences, rock-solid evidences. That's why we want to be believing in the resurrection. Others of you here would probably say that you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, or you doubt that he rose from the dead. And we are glad you're here with us this afternoon. And my encouragement to you would be to ask the question, what are my reasons for not believing in the resurrection? Why don't I believe in the resurrection? And to take those reasons and hold them up against the evidences that we're going to see from John chapter 20 and just consider the weight on either side. That's my challenge to you. So what evidence, what reasons has God given to us? God has given us four historical documents which describe Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And this afternoon, we're going to focus on the gospel written by John, John's gospel. Who was John? I want to introduce you to him briefly. John was a fisherman, lived by the Sea of Galilee, 
And when he met Jesus and listened to his teaching and saw his miracles, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah promised by God all through the Old Testament for thousands of years. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And he turned from his sin. And John put his trust in Jesus. And when he did that, all of his sins were forgiven. The sin barrier between him and God was removed. And for the first time, he tasted the joy of knowing God through the person of Jesus. He was filled with that joy, that peace, that love of knowing God in his presence. And he became one of Jesus' followers. That's John. And John wrote one of the four Gospels that we have in in our Bibles today. So I want to raise two questions this afternoon with you. Have us wrestle with these together. First question I want to raise is, why should we trust what John wrote? Important question. And then the second question is, what evidences does John give for why we should believe in the resurrection? So first question, why should we trust what John wrote? And I just want to treat John like a a historical document. Let's be historians this afternoon. What historians do is they try to figure out what really happened back in past history. And they have to sift through historical documents to decide which ones are trustworthy in describing what happened and which ones are not trustworthy. And let me mention three questions that are often raised to decide how trustworthy a document is. First question, how close was the author who wrote that to the events that happened? One question. Second, does what that author, does what that author wrote Is it confirmed by other authors who are also close to the situation? Is there confirmation from other trustworthy authors? And third, are there any authors who were close to that situation who disagreed with what that author wrote? So let's apply these to John's gospel. Was John who wrote this close to the events that he's describing? And the answer is very close. He was there an eyewitness right with Jesus and the disciples through his ministry. You can't get closer to that. So John was very close. That's good. Second, is what John wrote confirmed by other trustworthy authors who were close also? Is it confirmed? And the answer is absolutely. We know there's Matthew, there's Mark, and there's Luke. And all of those are based on eyewitness sources, very close to those events. And they confirm what John wrote in his gospel. Okay, third question. Are there any authors who are close to the situation who disagreed with what John wrote? Specifically, are there any authors who said Jesus did not rise from the dead? And the answer is no. There's no authors that are close to that situation who disagreed. So at least what this should mean to us is we should give John a listen. Let's hear what he has to say. Here's a historical document. It seems very trustworthy from a historical perspective. Let's listen with the second question we want to ask. What evidence does John give for Jesus' resurrection? Now in John chapter 20, this is where Jesus focuses on the resurrection. 
And I want to start by looking at how he concludes this chapter, the last two verses, which Krishna read for us earlier. But look at these two verses and notice how important signs, evidences, reasons are to John. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. So Jesus did many things that John did not include in his book. But these, the ones he's just written in chapter 20, and actually the whole book, but especially focused on chapter 20, these in chapter 20 are written, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John in chapter 20 gives us signs done by Jesus, evidences, reasons given by Jesus that show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who rose from the dead. So chapter 20 gives us signs, evidences, reasons. And as I studied these verses in chapter 20, I saw four evidences, signs. I want to go through them one at a time and read the passage where you see that. The first that I want to mention is that Jesus' tomb was empty. Look, starting at verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene, she was one of Jesus' followers, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. This is Jesus' tomb where his body had been buried. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's how John describes himself in his gospel. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to John and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. Now let me just pause for a second. Why does Jesus, excuse me, why does John say that he's the disciple who Jesus loved? He's not saying that Jesus didn't love the other disciples. Okay, let's be clear on that. It's not what he's saying. I think what he's wanting to do here is to show us that he was really there. He was loved by Jesus. He was very close to Jesus. Not more than anybody else, but he was, so that we can know that he was there, he was a witness to these events, and we can trust what he wrote. I think that's his point in saying that. Okay, keep going in verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John ran faster. And stooping to look in, He, John, saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. The linen cloths, these are the cloths that you would wrap a body in, along with various ointments and perfumes prepared for burial. So John looked in, saw all of the, the, the linen cloths that had been wrapped around Jesus. They were unwrapped and they were lying there. But John did not go in. Then verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, 
but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw. He saw the linen cloths there. There's no body there. And he believed what Mary had said. They've t- the body's gone. The tomb is empty. So he believed. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They didn't get that yet. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So it's clear the tomb was empty. Everyone had seen Jesus' body buried Friday, early evening, late afternoon. The Roman soldiers had guarded the tomb Friday night. They put the stone over the, tomb, the front. They guarded it Friday night, all day Saturday through Sunday morning. But early Sunday morning, Peter and John and Mary saw the stone had been rolled away. The soldiers were gone, and the tomb was empty. Why? Now, an empty tomb is often the sign of grave robbers back in those days. But that's clearly not what happened here, because grave robbers certainly would not unwind all the linen cloths from the body. That's just not what grave robbers, and they certainly wouldn't fold up the head cloth and leave it neatly behind. It's not what grave robbers do. So then why was the tomb empty? There's three other possibilities. One is maybe the Roman guards took the body. Maybe, but their job was to make sure that nobody took the body. That's why they were guarding the body. So that makes no sense. And even if for some reason they did take the body, as soon as the disciples went out into Jerusalem proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead, the Roman soldiers would have just said, "Uh, no, here's his body. And so much for that. So it makes no sense to think that the Roman guards stole the body. How about the Jewish leaders? Well, it's very similar to the Roman guards. If the Jewish leaders had stolen the body, then as soon as the disciples were out proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead, they would say, no, he didn't. Here's his body. You're wrong. And that would have been the end of Christianity. Okay, maybe the disciples. What about the disciples? Did they steal the body? Maybe... But think about it. It's hard to believe. These disciples started proclaiming the truth of Jesus' resurrection at the risk of their lives, suffering imprisonment in many cases and beatings, stonings. They were proclaiming Jesus as having been raised from the dead, and most of them were killed for their faith. So think about it. Someone can die for something that they know is false if they think it's true, right? You can die for something you know is false if you, if you think it's true. You haven't heard that it was false. But no one dies for something if they know it's not true. It makes no sense to think that the disciples would have stolen the body and then gone out and died for something they knew was a lie. So the tomb was empty. And it makes no sense to think that the Romans or the Jewish leaders or the disciples had taken the body. So why was the tomb empty? John tells us in the next verses. But again, here's this first piece of evidence. Jesus 
tomb was empty. Second piece of evidence is this. Mary Magdalene saw Jesus. Love this. After Peter and John left and went back home, Mary Magdalene stayed. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. You just picture her love for Jesus. And they killed him, and now his body's gone. And just total, oh, sorrow here. So she's standing, weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now pause there. Why didn't she recognize Jesus? Well, a couple of possibilities. One is it was early morning, still dark. Maybe that's why. Uh, Maybe she'd been, well, she had been weeping. Weeping can affect your vision. The last time she had seen him, He had been beaten and whipped and scourged and tortured and nailed to a cross and killed. And now he's been resurrected. That would be different. We aren't sure the reason, but it's clear that she did not recognize him. At first, she did not recognize him. Keep reading, verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. I just love that. Mary. Not, I'm Jesus, but Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So even though at first Mary didn't recognize Jesus' appearance, she recognized his voice, and she clung to him. Next verse, verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Jesus is saying here, Mary, you don't need to cling to me. I'm going to be here for another 40 days. Okay, we got work to do. Your job, go tell the disciples. I'm alive. I'm ascending to God. I'm going to be sending. You go and tell them that you've seen me. That's verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. So Mary had seen the Lord. That's why the tomb was empty. Jesus had been raised from the dead. Physically, literally, really raised from the dead. That's why the tomb was empty. 
And John emphasizes, Mary saw Jesus. So here's two signs, two evidences that John has given to us so far. First, Jesus' tomb was empty. Second, Mary Magdalene saw Jesus. Third piece of evidence, the disciples saw Jesus. Start in verse 19. On the evening of that day, this is Sunday night, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, John does not tell us how Jesus entered a locked room. It's not because he was just a spirit and could you know, flow through. He was a body. He was a real physical body. So we aren't sure exactly how he entered, but it's clear. Locked doors can't stop Jesus. Okay, Nothing can stop Jesus. So Jesus entered and said to all of them, Peace be to you. They were fearful because of the Jews. Peace be to you. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now notice, Jesus comes and he shows them. Nail pierced hands. Look at this spear scarred side. Now understand what this means for faith. Faith does not mean believing things without evidence. Jesus shows them. Look. Evidence, look, it's me. Faith does not mean believing things without evidence. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. I'm just going to believe, no reason. But just, that's not biblical faith. Faith is based on evidence. Faith is founded upon reasons. We can't answer all the questions, not saying that, but faith is built upon evidence as we see here. Jesus gives them the evidence that they need to believe by showing them his hands and his side. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Now think about that. The Father sent Jesus into the world to save sinners like me and like you. That's why Jesus was sent into the world. And Jesus is sending the disciples, us, into the world to share the good news of Jesus, to see people saved. So because you're a follower of Jesus, you are on mission. You are a sent one. You've been sent to tell people about Jesus to help lead people to faith in Jesus, to help them experience the life that's found in knowing Christ. You have the joy of doing that as a follower of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then verse 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What's going on there? If you've read the book of Acts, you know that in Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the early believers in a powerful way. So what's going on here? I think that here Jesus is giving them a taste, uh, an appetizer, a foretaste 
of the full outpouring that's going to take place in Acts chapter 2. And then verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. If you just take that verse, you could think that believers have the authority to forgive or withhold forgiveness from people, but that's not what we see in the rest of the Bible. Another very plausible way to take this is that Jesus is simply saying that when you, church, when you share the gospel with people, tell people the good news of who Jesus is, his life, his death, payment for sin, his resurrection, and when people turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ, you can say to them, your sins are forgiven. Not that you have forgiven them, but because of what they've done in responding to Jesus, their sins are forgiven. Or you can say, if someone is refusing to turn to Christ, you can say, with sorrow and tears, I say, your sins are not forgiven. Turn to Jesus. That's what's going on here. Massively powerful to think that sins can be forgiven. Or that if people don't trust Christ, their sins are not forgiven. But now the main point in this section is that the disciples saw Jesus. And John was one of those disciples. John was right there seeing Jesus. That's the third piece of evidence. So the first piece of evidence is Jesus' tomb was empty. Second piece of evidence, Mary saw Jesus. And the third piece of evidence, the disciples saw Jesus. Fourth piece, fourth and last. Thomas saw Jesus calling him Lord and God. It's amazing. You've all heard the story of doubting Thomas, right? Let's unpack it. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So Thomas had not been there earlier when Jesus came and said, look at my hands, look at my side, believe. Thomas had not been there. So verse 23, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, you've seen the Lord, but unless I see in his hands, I'm glad you've seen, but unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas needed evidence. But remember, all the disciples needed evidence, right? Jesus came, and they didn't say, you're resurrected. No, he came and said, okay, look, my hands, nail scars. What does that mean? Spear-scarred side. What does that mean? And they look. And you raised. You're, you're resurrected from the dead. The disciples needed evidence, and Thomas needed evidence. We all need evidence. What's just going on here? So what happens? Thomas needed evidence. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, nail scarred. And put out your hand and place it in my side, spear scarred. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, 
my Lord and my God. Jesus accepted that. That was the right thing for Thomas to say. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now think about what Jesus is saying here. Jesus knew what Thomas had said to the disciples. Unless I see, I'm not going to believe. Jesus knew Thomas needed evidence. And when Jesus came, he didn't say to Thomas, just believe. It's not what he did. Jesus said, Thomas, here, put your finger here. Feel that nail scar. Here, Thomas, put your hand here. Feel that spear scar. First, Jesus gives him evidence. And then Jesus says, don't disbelieve. You've seen the evidence. Believe. And because of the evidence, Thomas believed. My Lord and my God, he saw. Then Jesus says something that applies to all of us here in this room. He says, Thomas, you and all the disciples believe because you saw me, right? Disciples, Thomas, all of you, you believe because you saw me. Then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus is not saying that the disciples should have believed without evidence. He showed them the evidence. First thing, he presented it right there to them. His point is to encourage us who were not there, who weren't there physically. We didn't see, we can't see. We're, we're here, we're years, years, years later. But he's encouraging us to believe, you can't see, but by reading the evidence. You're not going to see by, not going to believe by seeing the evidence. You're not there any, years ago. But you can believe by reading the evidence. That's what he's saying here. Now, yes, it would have been amazing. I mean, can you imagine being back there, seeing Jesus nail pierced hands and spear scarred side? That would have been an amazing thing. But Jesus is saying, God will bless you as you believe through reading. You will be blessed. The disciples were blessed by believing through seeing. You will be blessed by believing through reading. That's the fourth piece of evidence. Thomas saw Jesus and called him Lord and God. So four pieces of evidence we've seen here. First, Jesus' tomb was empty. Second, Mary Magdalene saw Jesus. Third, the disciples saw Jesus. And fourth, Thomas saw Jesus calling him Lord. So what does this mean for us? Just flow right from that into the next two verses, the last two verses of this chapter. Here's what John says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the ones I've just written, these, empty tomb, Mary seeing Jesus, disciples seeing Jesus, Thomas seeing Jesus and calling him Lord and God, these, are written, written. These are written so that you may believe, so that by reading, you may believe. You didn't see, 
but you can believe by reading. These are written so that by reading, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Four signs, which we can read. We've read them tonight. So where are you at here? Some of you, like I said earlier, don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You have doubts about his resurrection. And again, if that's you, let me encourage you. Examine the reasons why you don't believe. What are the reasons? Think about those reasons. And then compare those with these four signs that John, who was there, who was an eyewitness, whose testimony was corroborated by other eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Compare that with these signs, your reasons with these signs, and just let those weigh and ponder them and think about them. And I'm praying that God will give you faith, that you'll see, your eyes will be open, you'll see this, this is so weighty. That's what I'm praying. Others of you, maybe this afternoon, you, you want to start believing. It's like, I'm, I'm seeing it. I want to trust Jesus Christ. I want the life that's in his name. I want to be forgiven for my sins and know God, have God's presence in my life. And if that's you, I would encourage you to talk to the person who brought you. Or you can come up afterwards. We'll have a prayer team up here at the far right hand ready to pray. We would love to pray with you. We'd be honored to pray with you as you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ and receive the life that he promises you. So we would love to do that. Others of you do believe, but maybe tonight you're struggling with your faith. And if that's you, you're not alone. We all go through times like that. Maybe you're struggling because of some serious heartbreaking trials you've been going through, or maybe job difficulties. Maybe there's a big temptation you're battling, and oh, it's exhausting, or whatever it might be. We all have times when our faith is weakened, and when we're battling and struggling. And I would encourage you, if that's you, this week, soak your heart in John 20. Because when, when I'm battling with faith, and this is probably true for all of us, what I need more than anything else is to see Jesus Christ again. See him again. Other things are clouding my vision, clouding the picture, work problems, my boss, health issues, whatever it might be. So soak your heart in John 20 and say, show me Jesus, Father Show me Jesus. Here's these signs. John wrote them so that by reading them, I could believe, strengthen my faith, renew my faith, revive my faith, give me faith, help me. And he will. He always answers that prayer. He will. And then for all of us who believe, here's my encouragement to us. Let these signs in John chapter 20 that we've just read, let them stir you to believe in Jesus even more. My Lord and my God, like Thomas. Because the more we trust Christ, the more we will experience life in his name. 
And the more we experience life in his name, the more Abu Dhabi will see that we have the life that they're longing for. We have the life that they do not have. And Grace Church, what Abu Dhabi needs is believers. Grace and all the other churches that are preaching Jesus, believers that are full of his life, shining with his joy and his love and his mercy and his generosity and his care, speaking the truth of the gospel, showing that life. That's what Abu Dhabi needs. Let's ask God to help us grow more and more in being what God wants us to be and what Abu Dhabi needs us to be. Let's stand and pray. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you, Father, for signs. Thank you for reasons. Thank you for evidence. Thank you that faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Faith does not believe when there's no evidences. You give us evidences. And Lord, I pray that you would let these evidences rest in our hearts, strengthen our faith, and that you would use us, Lord, to deepen us in you, to save people right now, Lord, to pour your life out upon us even more so that we can shine life to Abu Dhabi. Grant it, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.